Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. James chapter 3. Now, I just got to tell you, if you have problems in your marriage, tonight's for you. If you have problems raising your children, tonight's for you. If you have problems as a parent, tonight's for you. If you have problems with other human beings, tonight's for you. If you have problems in your life, chances are that this particular study is at least part of the answer to what ails you. It is in the area of communication. It is in the taming of our tongue. It's how we control our temper and our talking that causes a vast majority of not just our own individual problems, but our problems as a society and our problems in the globe. It is, in fact, words that cause more damage than any other thing on planet Earth. They have started virtually every war. They're the source of almost every divorce. They're the reason that parents don't have relationships with their children. It is almost always words. And the church is not immune to the danger of the tongue. And so tonight, we find out some principles for great communication. How, in fact, to tame our tongues. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have a plan to take this unruly little piece of flesh that resides in our skulls and tame it. Or to take our tongues and cause it to be guided by your spirit instead of by our flesh. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us great wisdom tonight, that your word would be spoken with clarity, and that we would receive it with gladness. God, help us to have godly communication. Lord, help us to never have ungodly communication. So, Lord, speak to us tonight through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. We're going to take the first 12 verses tonight. You would think that communication would be something that would be fairly easy to do. We're all born with a tongue. We're all born with a brain. Not so, is it? Anybody ever gotten in trouble from the words that you've said? Raise your hand. Um, Probably the rest of you need to put your hands up now, too, because you're getting in trouble right now with the Lord for lying. Most of us have had problems at some point in time with our communication. Verse 1, James chapter 3. My brethren, in case you ever wanted to be a pastor, here it comes. Let not many of you become teachers. Knowing that we, that would be me, shall receive the stricter judgment. And so James begins 
by solving a problem that was in the church. You see, they had a church full of people who all thought they could teach better than their pastor. That everyone in there thought that they knew what to say and that he didn't. And so there is an instantaneous response to this problem that existed in the church at Jerusalem, which was everybody wanted to talk at the same time. In our day and time, everybody wants to post on Instagram, Facebook, send emails, write letters, do whatever. We are a communicative lot, and the world is more communicative than it has ever been, though it is probably less effective than it's ever been at communication. And so what we have here is an age-old problem, and pastors are not immune from the problem themselves. And in fact, uh, sadly, I have men that I call friends, fellow pastors, uh, that in the, the age of COVID uh, have become, unfortunately, adversaries, have, have chosen to speak openly and to do exactly what this passage says not to do. And I pray that tonight, as we read this together, as we learn from it together, you will realize that it is a very difficult calling uh, to be someone who teaches God's word. And here's why. We're told why. When I get to heaven, I am going to give an account for absolutely every word that I ever said from this pulpit. And that is a fear-inducing thought. It causes me to ponder greatly sometimes what I have said, how I've said it, why I said it, in what context it was said. So here is that admonition again. Let not many of you become teachers because we, that would be you, me, and anyone else who decides to speak for the Lord, will suffer a stricter judgment for having said, thus says the Lord. Be careful. And at the same time, I ask you to pray for me, to pray for everyone, pray for the pastoral staff as we have this task of attempting to speak for the Lord. Now, when we stick to his word, we do pretty well. But when we go off track, we also can get in trouble. So please pray for us because when we get to heaven, there's going to be a long wait while the Lord speaks to those things which have been said from many pastors and many pulpits. For we all, verse 2, stumble in many things. It's interesting that this list really begins with the tongue, ends with the tongue. It is about the tongue, but at the same time it says, look, there's nobody that's exempt from stumbling. Nobody that doesn't have some issues. And if you have control over your tongue, then compassion is now being uh, solicited for the other things in which we might all stumble, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. So difficult is it at times to control the things that we say because of the propensity we have to be selfish with our speech that someone who's really good at it the Bible says, is a well-perfected person. That you can tell when someone is really walking with the Lord by the way they control what they say. And in fact, the Apostle Paul, as he would write to the church at Galatia, in Galatians chapter 5, actually distributes in that passage that describes for us the fruits of the flesh as opposed to the spirit, 
says that self-control is an evidence of someone being truly filled with the Spirit of God. And that self-control, nothing is harder to self-control than one's own words and tongue. They come out easy and they come out quickly, amen? Sometimes they come out with thought and sometimes they come out with no thought. Sometimes they come out in spite of thought. It is important for us to realize that the tongue is perhaps the most sinful instrument in our body. We sometimes look at the other things in these long lists of sin in Scripture, and maybe we pick something else out. Maybe it's something for you that, you know, maybe it's drunkenness, or perhaps it's covetousness, or some sexual sin, or something like that. But I think the one thing that affects us all our sins of the tongue, things that we say that do not honor the Lord, that ultimately cause more grief and more damage than we can possibly imagine. Also able to bridle the whole body, and so there's a direct connection there in verse 2 between controlling the tongue and everything else. Think on this for a second. That the person who can control their tongue is actually more likely to control every other part of their being, is what the Bible declares. That if you can get a grip on this thing, that it's not going to be quite as difficult to control your impulses and urges. To control your anger, to control your temper, because your temper is actually stimulated by words, isn't it? You ever watched anybody walk up to somebody without a word get into a fight? I have not. But I have walked up and watched people say about two words and a fight ensues. You see, the tongue often is the trigger mechanism for both good and bad. It is the thing that ultimately expresses, as Jesus rightly said, that it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. That what is internal becomes external first through your mouth, through the words that you say. And so we are being encouraged to be very careful with this extremely small piece of our body that seems to have control or at least initiate the movement of virtually all the rest of our being. So if you do not stumble in word, you're perfect and able to bridle or control the whole rest of your body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, that we might turn their whole body and look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. And even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things." See how great a forest fire it kindles. The tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. Now, the tongue is not only useful for bad things. It's also useful for very good things. You can bless with it. Amen? But it has to be controlled for you to do that. Because you can do either. You can bless or you can curse. You can do that which is holy and righteous and good. Or you can do exactly the opposite of that. 
It is a world of iniquity. Why is that? Why do you think, James, why do you think the Holy Spirit says that your tongue is a world of iniquity? Because your tongue doesn't act on its own. Your tongue has no capacity to think for itself. And as a believer, we believe that our mind is governed or should be governed by the Holy Spirit. And it is your mind that controls your tongue. And so in essence, Jesus, when he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the reason being is the heart is indicative of spirit-led thinking. That if we're spirit-led, then our tongue should be spirit-led. But because your body is flesh and because you are carnal, if there is no flesh guiding in your spirit that makes it to your mind and your tongue is going to be doing its own thing, it will be a world of iniquity. Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not one. So if you leave your tongue to its own devices attached to just your mind without the Spirit's guiding, then your tongue will speak for your flesh. Anybody ever had that problem? You don't raise your hand. We all have, right? You don't stop, give the Spirit an opportunity to guide your words, and what happens? It picks and chooses what it already has, which is a world of iniquity. It starts rolling through the, you know, some of us are old enough in this room. Remember when we used to have Rolodexes on our desk? Some of us can remember those days, you know, you turn the knob, and there's a card. It's like, well, your brain's like that. It's like you just flip through it until you, something catches your eye. That's one of the reasons back in the day when I was in business, you always tried to make your business card stand out. So when someone put it in their Rolodex, there was a color or there was a symbol or something so that when they flipped that knob, it's like, oh, that's a good one. Don't even know what they're selling, but I want one of those. Your mind is like that. Your mind sticks on things that are unique. And unfortunately, a lot of those unique things are not of the Lord, are they? They're pieces of your flesh. They're pieces of your carnal nature. They're pieces of your existence, your life, your experience. And when your brain flips through them, bingo, I'm stopping on that one. The tongue is so set amongst our members that it defiles the whole body. You know, it's been said that it takes a lifetime to gain a godly character and it takes a moment to lose it. You know why that is? Because in a moment, a handful of words can forever change the destiny of your life. If you don't believe that, just read the news. Watch people who have said things 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago that are being disqualified from places in business and ministry. Pastors that have had things come up in their lives that they said decades ago. Oops. It sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. In other words, your, your carnal flesh, that part of you that is still the unredeemed part of you that's capable of sinning, lest it is guided by the Spirit. If that putting on of the new man, if that renewing of your mind that should be happening daily isn't going on, 
then you have a direct connect through your flesh to the carnal part of you via your tongue. For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. This is really crazy when you start to think about what's being said here. At that day and time, they had domesticated camels. You've ever seen a camel? Camels are huge. They're gigantic. They're kind of gnarly looking. They can spit. They stink. They're awful. But they can also travel very long distances without water. We somehow manage to domesticate a camel, but we can't control our tongue. Gives you an idea of the difficulty of the problem. But no man, God can, of course, tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now, I realize this is kind of sort of depressing if you just look at it from the negative side. But we're also going to be instructed in in what needs to happen. And with it, we bless God and our Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. You can see how difficult this actually becomes. You and I were made in the Imago Dei, literally the image of the living God. And God said, let us make man in our own image. You were made, literally, fashioned in God's image. And God doesn't talk the way we talk sometimes. And so it's not impossible for us to control our tongue. It's just difficult. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Why is that? Why is it that it ought not to be so? Because in the fact that we've been made in the image of God, we have the capacity to do the right thing, and we also have the capacity to do the wrong thing, but as believers, doing the right thing should govern how we live. If we are actually empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is the source of the power of the universe... The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and in me. James says, this ought not be so. In other words, it is not a foregone conclusion that we do not control our tongues. It shouldn't be that we don't control our tongues. As a matter of fact, we should be in the category of those who do control what we say. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Here's, here's where it becomes very obvious. Are you not, are we not, children who are filled with the living water of the Holy Spirit? And if we are, if we are in fact believers, if we're God's kids, then we are a fresh water spring. 
And so the only way that you can have bitter water coming out of the spring that is your mouth is that you temporarily switch sources. You have to decide to let the flesh rule. And some of you are going, well, you know, not, not really. No, it is. It's a choice. And I think most of you, if you will be honest with yourselves, will recognize that in that nanosecond or two it takes for those words to come out, the Holy Spirit was going, don't say that. Don't say that now. Don't say that that way. Pick another time. Choose another word. There is a guidance by the Holy Spirit, but you allow the anger or the bitterness or the hatred to speak for you, and boom, you switch spring sources. Now all of a sudden that bitterness that is of the old man, of the old woman, is right there. It shouldn't be. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt and fresh. Incredible treatise on our speech. Basically, they all wanted to be teachers, and as teachers, they would have to suffer the judgment of a teacher. And so this begins with verse 1, basically being an indictment saying, be careful about being a pastor, be careful about being an elder, be careful about being a teacher, be careful about speaking for God, because whatever happens with everybody else, it's worse for someone who takes that path. So be careful. James deals with those of us who think that we want to teach. One of the things that the Bible plainly teaches the Apostle Paul there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 reminds us that one day he said that we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to God. Verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear, every last one of us, before the bema, the judgment seat of Christ to receive things which were done in the body. In other words, one day you're going to give an account. I'm going to give an account. And it appears that God holds into account those who teach the word a stricter form of judgment. And let me tell you why. I have no idea exactly how many hours I've spent in God's word, but it is thousands, perhaps tens of thousands. It's a bunch Figure the the better part of 35 years, at least 20 to 30 hours a week for that whole time. It's a bunch. And then on top of that teaching, which is another 10 or 12 hours a week. So probably 40 hours a week. Basically a whole work week, as far as Jeff Gill is concerned, he spends in God's word either studying it or teaching it. Now, for the person who just got their first Bible, who do you think God's going to hold more accountable? The person whose vocation it is to actually study God's word and to teach it, or the person who barely knows that he has a relationship with the Lord. So it's actually very clear why this is being said. In other words, the more you know about God, the more responsible you are for what you know. And there should be nobody more responsible than those who actually teach others. 
This is why it's so important to read the full counsel of God's word, to know what the whole Bible says, because you might almost inadvertently stumble through passages of scripture and lead people falsely into believing things by speaking it forcefully from the pulpit when it's not true. Let me give you some of those things that are floating around like right now. That somehow God thinks that politics are more important than people. That is an anathema to God. God doesn't care one iota about the politics of this country. He cares about the people in this country. He does not care about your personal freedoms. You know why I know that? Because Jesus said so. The Son of Man came into this world to give his life a ransom for many. That if you want to be great in the kingdom, be the servant of all. It doesn't say get what you can get out of this world. It says give everything you have. Pick up your cross and follow me. So those that are choosing to make the pulpit a place of politics, I think are in really, really, really grave danger of exactly what is being said here. You better be careful. You better be careful. We all have the same issue at times. And so we have some lessons here from the bit, from the bridle, from the rudder. We're not the only ones, we pastors, who are tempted. Notice it says in verse 2, we all stumble in many things. There was a saying during World War II and if you remember, if any of you have seen the movie Dunkirk, or if you know anything about the naval battles of the Second World War, uh, a vast majority uh, of what happens today, we move troops by aircraft. But back then, we moved troops by ship. We, we loaded thousands of airmen, marines, army, soldiers of every type and size. We put them on ships, and we sent huge convoys of hundreds of ships across both the Atlantic and the Pacific. And so that axiom was loose lips sink ships. Why? Because we didn't have the miracle of the internet, but we did have radio, and we specifically had shortwave radio, which could broadcast as long as there was the ability to bounce it off of other radios, we could get radio signals across the Pacific fairly quickly via ships stationed at sea. And so something that was as simple as a heading, the convoy is going to be on you know, 247 South. All of a sudden, the enemy knows where you're at, so all you do is park a few submarines out there and kill 1,500, 2,000 people at a time. In the very same way, our unguarded speech is just like that. We, we think that, oh, it's just words. We think it's, well, I was just mad. We, we think it's, well, I didn't really mean it. How many of you, and please don't raise your hand, but think about this deeply. How many of you have followed some absurd statement with, well, I didn't mean that? The truth of the matter is, that is a lie. You may have not meant the consequences of what is going to happen with what you said, but you do not speak involuntarily. 
You absolutely did mean what you said. You may have not wanted to say it in that moment, but the fact of the matter is you had an opportunity to not say it and you chose not to. So you can follow your statements with, well, I didn't mean that. But there isn't a person on the planet who actually believes that you don't mean that when you take that much time to say that. And so the question becomes, what do those words actually do once they're out? Because you cannot retrieve them, can you? Once you've said something, no matter how much you would like to unsay it, has anybody figured out how to get a mind eraser and run it over your wife's or your husband's head? If you've been married for a very long time, you, you know that there's things that you've said that you would like to unsay, but you can't unsay it, can you? Praise God for God's grace in those moments, by the way, that, that he can take and deal with that by his grace and through his love to to take care of that circumstance and situation and make it better. But the fact of the matter is we have an opportunity governed by the Spirit to not say those things in the first place. And that's where the battle should be won. If you want to have victory, you will never give an account for something you did not say. That's just a temptation. The temptation to say something is not the sin of saying it. So when the temptation comes, that's when you fight the fight. That's when you stop and say, you know what? I need to really be careful here. The sins of the tongue are kind of at the top of this list. They seem like they're small things. Seems like it's not that big a deal. Seems like, well, it's just words. But when you look at the examples, if you look at the mass of the rudder of a ship, or if you look at the size of a bit that's on a bridle, that's on a horse's head, they're insignificant relative to the size of the thing they're controlling. Amen? You look at the rudder on a ship. Go down to Pedro, Go to the port of Los Angeles and look at the rudder on one of those cargo ships. They are insignificantly small relative to the mass of the cargo and the ship. But they're quite capable of turning the whole ship. You you may have saw the ship that was the evergreen ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal a few months ago. That's because that rudder wasn't able to overcome that side wind. And here you have this thing. It blocks off half of the world's cargo for 30 days. Costing something like $10 billion worth of lost revenue. A rudder is an important thing on a ship, but it's small. In the same way, if you've ever watched, and I'm not suggesting that you should all go watch racehorses, but if you've ever looked at jockeys, typically they weigh less than 110 pounds. And the only reason they can control a 1,200-pound racehorse running 35 or 40 miles an hour is because of the bit that is in their mouth. Very light touch, but all you got to do is turn the horse's head and the horse will move. The work of the Holy Spirit in you is just like that rudder. It's just like that bit. 
It's capable of steering the ship. But if you don't give control over, if you retain control, if you try and do it some other way, then you're going to run aground. You're going to crash into the side rails. The pressure that overcomes us at times is not that we can't control what we say. It's that we won't control what we say. We allow the other things to build up, the the anger, the bitterness, the hatred, the things that shouldn't be guiding the life of a believer, and then those things boil out through our tongue. There are some lessons here that we can learn. When you keep control over your tongue, you're just like the, the horseman, you're just like the jockey that controls that horse. You refuse to let go of the reins. You will not stop thinking about what do I need to say? Why should I say it? Why should I say it now? Why should I say it that way? It takes courage. When a storm's beating against your ship, it takes courage. You have to trust that that rudder is going to do its job. You have to trust that bit is going to do its job. And as the spirit of the living God controls you, then I I don't have to have fear. I know that that bit and that rudder is capable of doing the job. It's all I need. But I have to trust it. And I have to rely on it. And I can't wait too long to do it. You see, here's the other problem. Once you get a horse running 35 miles an hour the wrong direction, it's not going to stop on a dime. Amen? You ever noticed how when you go down across the Vincent Thomas Bridge and you look at those ships coming into port, they're doing maybe half a knot? You know why? Because it's going to take them a mile to stop. And so you can't expect the rudder to do its job if your tongue is moving 90 miles an hour. The Holy Spirit's going to have a tough time when you allow anger to push your words out with force. You have to give the Holy Spirit time to turn the ship. And if you don't, the ship's going to hit the dock. And it's going to cause a whole bunch of damage. As you think on these examples, the key here, and and David expressed this, and as did Solomon in in the book of Proverbs when he said there in chapter 18, verse 21, literally death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now you're sitting there saying, well, that's not true. Yes, it is. We see it almost every day. Literally death and life. Stop. Someone doesn't stop and they end up shot. You don't follow directions. There's, There's a shooting that occurs. Somebody says something, they get angry, and all of a sudden their temper flares. The fight ensues. Somebody's driving down the freeway, road rage takes over, and people are screaming and yelling at each other while they're going 70 miles an hour down the freeway, and someone's life is ended over words. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. It's no wonder that David prayed in the 
141st Psalm, set watch, O Lord, over my mouth and keep the door of my lips and incline not my heart to an evil thing. He was actually giving us an insight to what Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 12 when he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If the heart is right and the heart's controlling the mouth, then the mouth is going to echo the words that are from the Lord instead of the words that are from my flesh. It's amazing how many times when I've thought of things that I want to say. Now, I I know none of you do this, but I will give it to you because your pastor does it. And so I will be typing. Somebody sends me a nice email that is from the pit of hell. And I'm typing a response. Anybody in here thankful for the backspace key? (laughs) Nope, don't want to say that. Hmm. Click, highlight, I'm going to delete that sentence. Highlight the whole thing, delete. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit editing service. That's the Holy Spirit going, no, no, you're just angry, Jeff. You're just upset, you're hurt. Somebody said something, you didn't like what they said. I am so thankful for the emails that I have not sent. I'm so thankful for the words that I have not sent, for the texts I have not sent, for the work of the Holy Spirit going, those words will accomplish nothing but the devil's plan, Jeff. Backspace, delete. Your words can destroy people's lives. People have lost their lives for words. It's that serious. And so we need to think about them in that that way because notice it says we can bless or we can curse. It can be good or it can be bad. We don't want to cause a runaway horse. We don't want to cause somebody to be killed in that pedestrian place of walking in between our words and the damage that they cause. And the key is having a right heart. A judge takes the bench and he simply says guilty or not guilty. Guilty is one word. Not guilty is two words. Do they mean the same thing? They sure do not. And they will alter forever the destiny of that person and their family. You better hope that those words are spoken fitly. That they're apples of gold and settings of silver. Now guilty may be what that person is. Not guilty might be what the verdict really is, but the fact of the matter is words matter. And in fact, there is a three-letter word in those two cases that is the difference between the two, and they are exact opposite meaning, are they not? Guilty and not guilty, what's the difference? The not. That's how dangerous words can be. That can happen in your marriage, too. You're guilty. Well, not exactly. But once you pronounce somebody guilty, once you've judged them, once you've sentenced them by your words, you sit in a, 
in a, in a vernacular, you set a course of action for that situation that may take the rest of your life to try and unravel. Be careful what you say. Our president can actually declare war with a handful of words. Think about that one for a second. He actually has the power to declare war. Simple yes or no from the lips of a parent in this room can change the destiny of your children's lives forever. Your words matter. Be careful how you use them. Words like trust and love and care and concern or you fool, you idiot. Now you might in the heat of the moment think that your child was born without any operating gray matter. And it's true that our kids from time to time do things that's like, you know, I'm not sure where you came from. You may have been born on Mars. We might have adopted you. But you should never say those things to your children. Never. Never. You can't get them back. Be careful what you say. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 15, verse 1, a soft answer literally rebukes wrath or turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Solomon, purported to be the wisest man that ever lived, understood that. Proverbs 12, 22, a lying Lip or lying lips is an abomination to the Lord. God actually would lump it into the things with, that he hates. Proverbs 10, 19, in the multitude of words, their sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. You, you see the difference there? Anybody had the right thought but chose the wrong words? Sometimes the best words that you can say are no words at all. Until the Holy Spirit filters through them and tells you exactly what you ought to say, sometimes the best thing to say is, I would really love to discuss this right now, but I'm not sure that I'm thinking the way I need to think. I'm not sure I would say right now what I should say. Would you please give me time? You see, in that haste, in that multitude of words, you can do so much damage. And to that end, the power of the tongue is capable of of destroying. And so James speaks this truth into our lives through this passage there in verses 5 through 8. Your tongue can be a blazing fire, it can be a wild beast little history for you. You would think in a city like London that was founded by the Romans in AD 43 to to maybe 48, it was known then as Londinium. It was the center of 
publishing virtually anything that was written for a period of almost 2,000 years until the Second World War came. And so during that time, London was known as a place, if you wanted an ancient book, London is where you went to get it. It's either London or Rome. During the Blitz on December 29th to 30th of 1940, the German Luftwaffe sent 136 bombers loaded with actually very small incendiary bombs hundreds of them in each bomber, multiple flights that night. And they firebombed the center of London. And so when you travel today to London, you can hardly find any old books in London. Why? Because the whole center of the city was burned out from fire. The wall still stood. They were brick. They were blocked. The bombs were small. Didn't he actually destroy the buildings? But it destroyed the books. Anything that was paper, anything that was wood. It's guesstimated that night that almost four million books were destroyed. If you look at what's going on in our state right now, massive swaths of the Sierras last several years have been burned. Places that you could walk through and it's like, this is what it must have looked like 200 years ago, now look like a place that It's found in the bottom of your barbecue. Somebody's careless act started a fire, and that fire has destroyed millions of acres. Some of the most beautiful country here on the face of the earth. Start with a small spark. And if you think that words can't start fires, that's also incorrect. A little history for you. We lost a town here in our state called Greenville. 1921, June of that year in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A lie about a 19-year-old black young man verbally accosting a white girl who was an elevator operator caused a white supremacist mob to rise up and burn down 40 square blocks of what had become the most prosperous place where black Americans were finally able to really have the things that defined us as America. 300 people lost their lives over a lie. Countless hundreds of millions of dollars in today's value were lost in those fires because of a lie, a handful of words. Words can be very, very, very dangerous. Most of us have had that experience where things have been said to us that ignited a fire within us that caused us to think in ways that were Maybe the moments before, unthinkable. Stirred up something within us. Church, we need to learn to control what we say. 
Fire may start small. It may actually be beneficial initially. You know, one of the problems we have here in our state is we for so long have worshipped trees and we haven't allowed wildfires to actually burn through and burn the, what's called the understory. And I speak to you as somebody who's been a firefighter, so I am speaking with some ability to speak to this issue. The Forest Service actually did a study because there were no fire departments 100 years ago guarding all of our forests. They just simply would have lightning fires. The lightning fires would burn out the understory and then the forest would be protected from wildfires. We stopped doing that. So little fires used to do little damage, but now little fires do big damage. Man's become unable to control what he started As fire spreads, it consumes more fuel. So when you think about your words, let me give you one last thing that you can dwell on. Probably most of you realize that Adolf Hitler wrote a book called Mein Kampf. It was his treatise on what really was his final solution, why he hated the Jewish people the way he hated them. What was his intent? Why did he come up with an Aryan solution? What was he attempting to do? That book has 720 pages in it. There are about 153,000 words. If you think about it from that perspective, there are only 526 different words in the entire book. That's it. 526 words that comprise some 720 pages and almost 150-something thousand individual words formed into sentences. If you look at the damage that that book did, for every word in Mein Kampf, there are 125 people that lost their life during the Second World War. And 40 of them were Jews. Words have complete ability to destroy. Be careful with your words. Furthermore, they can destroy people's ability to hear from the Lord. They can destroy souls as well. They can keep people from coming to Christ. They can cause people to be drawn near or pushed away. And so be careful what you say. Because unlike that old adage that sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can never hurt you or hurt me, that is simply a lie. And in fact, for most of us, the most painful things we've ever endured in our entire lives have almost all been based in words. I think back on my own life, and, and I would tell you that of the top 10 things in my life, all of them were sentences said to me by my parents. 100%. Things that I can't erase from my memory banks. Things that I wish were different. Things that altered the course of my life, at least temporarily, until the Lord got a hold of my life and said, no, that's not the direction I want you to go. There was a period of time where those words had shaped the very person I was. 
be careful what you say because words have power. What does the Bible actually say about the sins of the tongue? The truth of the matter is they're more destructive than bombs and bullets. And the Bible seems to indicate so. And in fact, most wars are started by words and then they become bombs and bullets. Virtually every war that's ever been started had some form of something that was said to start it. Either a declaration of war, something was said between two countries with standing armies, something was said. And people started shooting each other. So the Bible speaks of the, the power of things like gossip, slander, innuendo, backbiting. And in fact, the Hebrew word that's translated gossip means to be a talebearer or someone who spills secrets or a scandal monger. I think that's pretty much all our news media does anymore. And people repeat it. Social media is famous for it. Just in case you didn't know, everything you read on the internet is not necessarily true. In fact, there are supposed discernment ministries on the internet that make it their business to do nothing but slander and gossip about people. All in the name of Christ. Can I tell you that when you say things about people and you do not know fully whether those things are true and you do so publicly and you put it in print, that's called libel and you can be sued for it. And God hates it because it destroys people's character. We have become a society that thrives on learning the juicy tidbits of gossip about everybody. And it's shameful. It's shameful. That's someone else's son, that's someone else's daughter, that is someone else's mom, that is someone else's dad. We should be praying for those people, not talking about those people. We should guard what we say because words matter. The word gossip carries with it two connotations, and one is intent. The intent with gossip is generally to make the person who gossips look better than the person they're gossiping about, or as though they have some knowledge that you need. In other words, it's selfish. It's self-seeking. It is often vain. The point is to make other people look bad. So when you repeat things that make other people look bad... You are gossiping. No matter how true they are. Did you hear what I just said? From the Bible's perspective, intent is everything. So if you say something with the intent to make someone else look bad, that is gossip. Be careful. Because one day you're going to stand before the Lord and give an account. And I say this to all of us. We can all be guilty of it. And what your grandma probably told you is true. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. There's a lot of biblical truth wrapped up in that. 
A lot of truth. The second thing is the type of information that one shares when one is saying these things. If it's potentially revealing of somebody's fault, if it's embarrassing, if it's shameful, if it could potentially harm their family, who is innocent, by the way, it should not be shared. That's gossip. Now notice what I didn't just say and what the Bible doesn't say. It doesn't matter if it's true. Hear me, church. It doesn't matter if it's true. So these fools that post this stuff on the internet, claiming to be seekers of the truth from the Bible's perspective, it doesn't matter if it's true. From God's perspective, it is still slander if it destroys the character of someone else. It's still slander if it harms the family of someone else. It's still wrong when you talk about other people and it destroys them, even if it's true. Those conversations should be had with no one but the person with whom you have that problem. It doesn't belong on a blog. It doesn't belong on an Instagram post. It doesn't belong on your Facebook page. It belongs between you and that person, Matthew 18, and between them alone. And if they don't hear you, go get a brother who's neutral, and then you speak to them. And if they still don't hear you, take it to the church, but it doesn't belong on a blog. It doesn't belong on an internet post. Because that does harm, and we were made in the image of God. We got to be careful because the church falls into this and we call it discernment. We call it, well, I'm just trying to spare the body of Christ. That doesn't change the fact that it's sin. We are supposed to, Galatians 6 1, if we find our brother in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, lest you yourself also be tempted in the same way. Not make sure that you destroy them. It's the church's job to deal with situations that are sinful in the church. It is the person's job to deal individually with the other person who has sinned against them and them alone and no one else. The rest of it's gossip. Be careful. The list of sins... In Romans chapter 1, verses 29 to 32, you can read it later, includes slander, backbiters, gossip, and boasting. And it is of these things that God says people who approve of them will not inherit the kingdom of God. So how much gossip should be going on in the church? Absolutely zero. How much slander should be going on in the church? Absolutely zero. How much backbiting should be going on in the church? Absolutely zero. Read Romans one thirty-two, and then ask yourself the question, do I really want to stand before God and give an account for why I gossiped about that person? I don't think we do. The Bible is clear. 
These things are an affront to God. They should be an affront to God's people. And they have no business in our homes. We shouldn't be teaching our children to live this way. We should be so against these things that our homes are a place of sanctity of word. That become then a sanctity of deed. That our lives are so marked by the character of Christ that when people hear us speak, they go, well, that's what Jesus would say. I'd love to be mocked continually for having someone say to me, oh, it just sounds like Jesus. You couldn't pay me a greater compliment than to say that to me. Don't do that Jesus thing. No, that's all I know how to do is that Jesus thing. Amen? Should be how we all are. I realize in all of this that some of you may be, you know, a little toasty around the edges right now. You might be, you know, I came, I I got in the toaster and Pastor Jeff turned it up to four. Fear not, because we are all in this together. We all have the propensity to say things we shouldn't. And praise God for his grace, amen? And his mercy and his gentleness on us. But the reason these words in James are strong and the reason that the Bible is strong on these sins is because they truly are some of the most damaging things that we can do. You know, if I walk up and I punch somebody in the nose, I, I can actually apologize for punching them in the nose. But if I, if I railed on them for five minutes about all the sins that they have ever committed and how I hate them to the uttermost parts of their being, the, the nose will heal, the mind will remember. And I'm not suggesting that physical violence is good either. It's not. But I am saying that the words that we choose to use can either bring life or they can bring damage and death. Choose life. James ends with this allusion to wild animals. And some of you have been around. Remember back in the 70s, actually in the 1960s, I think it was 67 in Florida, a company built the first Lion Country Safari Park. And that one is actually still there. It's still operating. So, so you can go to um, Loxahatchee, Florida, and, and you'll find the Lion Country Safari. Remember, we used to have one in South Orange County in Irvine, kind of on the edge of, remember Leisure World when they had the big globe out there on the side of the freeway? And you could go to Lion Country Safari. Well, it's kind of an interesting thing, you know, for three twenty-five per person. I think kids were a buck fifty. You could get in your, you know, your nineteen seventy-one Pento, or maybe your push-button Plymouth Valiant, or you know, your nice uh, Wagoneer station wagon. You could load the kids in, and you could drive through Lion Country Safari, and you'd be a whole pride of lions out there. You know, that was all really well and good. But they couldn't actually pull the wild out of the wild lions, could they? And then finally they closed down, principally because a couple of people got drug out of their cars and eaten. Not fully. (laughs) In the same way, your tongue has still got a wildness in it. And just because it looks like it's, you know, completely regenerated, oh, that's a happy pride of lions. There's still lions in there. And if we're not careful, if we don't put a guard between us and that wildness, 
If you're just relying on your kid's ability to crank the window up and down really fast, remember this is pre-electric windows. This is like, "Uh uh-oh, that's a lion. (laughs) We have to be careful because our words are like those wild lions. They're still quite capable of jumping through an open window. And if we don't use the Holy Spirit to guide us to keep the windows rolled up, and to keep the car moving, to keep pushing forward in Christ, then we are prone to let the lion in. We don't want to do that. We don't want to have that poisonous tongue do that damage that it can do. We want it to be completely guided by the Holy Spirit so that when people meet us, they they feel as though they spent some time with Jesus, not with me. Tongue can be tamed, but it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. And if you'll give the Lord the time, the ingredient that you have at your disposal, church, brothers and sisters, family, what you have at your disposal is time. God's given you the time, those, those hand, that second before you speak. He's given you that second to allow the Holy Spirit to affect the words that are come out of your, going to come out of your mouth. And in that second, the Holy Spirit can plot a new course, can change your beginning of your magnum opus of what you have to say. Let the Holy Spirit do that. Don't just blurt out the first thing that comes to your fleshly mind because it generally won't be good. Allow God to use this translation service, which I pray for constantly as I'm teaching. It's like, Lord, please, you know, you need to speak to your people. Whatever I said, you take those words and change them into something else before it gets to their head. We, we want the Holy Spirit to govern what we say. We can beautifully, we can bountifully bless the body, but we have to control what we say. And if we do... And not only are our individual lives going to be better, but our life as the church is going to be better. This world is going to be better. This world doesn't need more harsh words, more blurted out statements, more foolishness coming from our lips. It needs more Jesus coming from our lips. The Holy Spirit can do that. So let's make that our goal. Would you stand? We're going to close in prayer. We're going to have some pastors come down front if you need. Maybe you're struggling with something. You just got a tough time controlling your words and you want help with that. The Holy Spirit wants to do that. If you'll give him your tongue, he will transform it. I can tell you that emphatically because I have not always been as I am today. God's worked on in my life. Still got some work to do, but by his grace, I'm better than I used to be. Amen. Father, we thank you that you have given us a bit You have given us a rudder. You've given us fire extinguishers. Uh, Lord, you've taken the wild beast and put a collar on it and chained it up. Your Holy Spirit has done that. And so we pray tonight, Holy Spirit, afresh and anew. I, I pray for anyone who's here tonight that's struggling with their words. Lord, they are prone to say things that get them in trouble. Lord, that cause problems to be greater, not better. 
And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come into our lives and to transform and renew us. Make our minds slow as we've already learned to speak and quick to listen. Lord, help us to take that extra breath, count those few seconds, and to really consider the the weight of what we're going to say before we say it, not after. God, we thank you for your Spirit's work. We thank you for the Word and how it can transform us. And so take these truths, help us to make them our own. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.